Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. So, wow. I am the Lord. No, you can turn me down a little bit back there. It wouldn't kill me. All right, or I wouldn't kill them. So if you're worshiping with us online, we're so glad you're with us today or here in person. I'm Chip Freed, our lead teaching pastor here. Um, I love the video. Uh, There's so much that happens here. We're talking right now in December a lot about our Christmas offering, what we're calling our Joy Full, F-U-L-L, Christmas offering. Um, The reality is about 30% of our operating income comes in in the month of December alone. So this offering is always very important, and we think it's important to kind of show you. You always wonder, okay, I give my money, what's happening? There's so much happening in this church. Like that ministry was happening, um, and Scott and Rhonda will be out at our connection table today if you're interested in in, uh, being a part of that. Uh, ministry. So much has happened in that, that uh, monthly meal was partaking out of the church for about four months before I even knew about it. Okay. So uh, this is ways that we widen the circle. Scott was sharing with us recently that they're looking, you know, for us to even expand that ministry. And that's all going to depend on our Christmas offering. You know, so when you're praying over that, uh, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Uh, we're trying to show, demonstrate uh, what happens there. Real quick thing too, if you're new to Garfield or even if you're uh, online, we hope you'll go to new at, it's not the at sign, the word new at gmc.org um, and fill out a, a guest survey so we can stay in touch. You'll begin to get the e-note. And today we're bringing back something that we haven't done since pre-COVID. The first Sunday of, of a month, we would always invite new guests up for pizza with the pastors. So we're having that after service today at 1130. If you're newer to Garfield, you'd like to know more about our mission, vision, our DNA, who we are, um, you can meet in the chapel. Just ask one of our hospitality people. It's on the other side of the building. And uh, it is free. So uh, we bribe you with food to meet you. Um, anyhow, we're doing that. Uh, we're beginning our Christmas teaching series today uh, to encourage us and prompt us to rediscover the joy of Christmas. And I need to uh, beg your pardon today. If, I, if I'm not very good, if I'm a little off my game, I mentioned this way back in August, but the time's come, um, that after service today, after pizza with the pastors, I'm going to go and pick up my oldest daughter, Tiana, um, and tomorrow morning at 5.30, we're all off to the Cleveland Clinic. Tiana is going to have major brain surgery tomorrow. And she's going to have, a, I can't even say it. Um, she's going to have another one on Thursday. So we'd ask you to pray for us, our family, as we're going through this. I tell you, I was over here at worship. I had to hug my brother over here because I was just like melting. Uh, I don't know what prompted Gail to sing those songs, but boy, did I need them. Um, and it, You know, in in a serendipitous way, I was talking to somebody, you know, we do our teaching series. We plan those out in July. 
We get together, we pray together, we think about things, and we plan our teaching series from September through June. All of it's put together. Now, we let the Holy Spirit interrupt us if anytime he wants to. But, you know, God honors preparation, and we do that. And a couple of weeks ago, knowing that this Sunday was coming and knowing what my week was following that, um, I looked at the opening message, and it says, Finding joy in the darkness, in dark times. Finding joy in difficulty. And, you know... As I began to prayer for this prayer for this message a couple weeks ago, I just looked up to God and I said, "You know, sometimes you're not even discreet. I mean, like really, this the, what we're, we're up against and what I'm preaching on, and and it is how do we find joy in difficulty and suffering and hurt in, in the difficult times? Because that's what Christmas joy is all about, okay? And I need to say something starting this this whole series off." about joy. We th- joy in the vernacular is so misunderstood. It's so far what biblical joy is. We think of joy as good feelings, right? We think of joy as happiness. We think of joy as making merry. You know, we do that in Christmas time and with our kids and entertaining, I do, with, and cooking and all that. But, but happiness comes from the word happenstance. It's what happens to you. And making merry is something for a moment, but it doesn't last, many of you know. Um, you could have had some conversations over Thanksgiving that might have been a little difficult, right? Somebody said, go ahead and talk about politics at Thanksgiving, and then you won't have as many Christmas presents to buy. I thought that was a good one. Um, making merry is fun, but it doesn't last. But biblical joy is something way different. See, we make everything political these days. We don't even know how to celebrate the holidays. Like, we, you know, if we greet somebody, should I say Merry Christmas or should I say Happy Holidays? Well, the good news is neither one of those is biblical. So you're not going to screw up. The angel didn't show up on that first night and say, Behold, I bring you good news for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Didn't say that. He didn't show up and say, behold, I bring you good news to go eat, drink, and be merry. No, the message of Christmas was, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. See, even the adjective changes. I bring you good news about great joy. See, happiness is what happens. Merriment is what happens. It's, it's, you know, it depends on circumstances, but joy is a condition, the Bible says. Jesus said, I came that my joy might be in you, and your joy might be made complete. It's a condition regardless of what happens. It's not dependent on circumstances. And, and, and Christmas it, it tells that story. In fact, we sanitize the Christmas message so much I preached on that my very first Christmas Eve here like 20 years ago. You know, I I don't know about you. Do you ever get Christmas cards in the mail of the Holy Family? Don't they look wonderful? I mean, Joseph is so fit. He's been to Planet Fitness about five times a week. He eats well. He's a middle-aged guy. He's a strapping. Mary usually has a very high designer blueprint dress on. She's been to Macy's, you know, and nothing could be farther from the truth. This is a scared couple of teenagers 
pregnant out of wedlock, absolutely dirt poor. Well, where's that in the Bible? Read Luke 2. When they present Jesus at the temple, they bring an offering of two turtle doves. And if you read in the Old Testament, you were required to bring an offering of a lamb. And only if you were at the bottom of the poverty system, could you offer two turtle doves. Mary gives birth to her child in an animal feed box and she swaddles him. Remember that? That we, oh, that's so cute, isn't it? No, no Jewish woman ever swaddled their child. There was always a midwife or a relative there to do it. These kids, and they were, Mary would have been 13, 14 tops, Joseph maybe 17 or 18, are utterly alone. And yet joy comes. In fact, we see the Magi right around the manger, and I got a, I got a, uh, I got a Christmas card last year. I'll never forget. It was a, it was a snowy mountain, and there was a little uh, church at the top of the mountain with a little candle in the window, and it just said, "All is calm, all is bright." And Edmund Steinle was a great Lutheran theologian. He talked about Christmas Eve. He said, "If all is calm on this night, it's the calm at the center of the storm." Because even with the arrival of the Magi, we know that behind them is an authoritarian King Herod conspiring murderous thoughts. See, Christmas joy doesn't just come with candlelights and and meals. It comes in the darkness, in the darkness of life. When the Bible, you know, Luke and Matthew tell the story, and they always say when it's set, in the days of Augustus Caesar. Those are horrible days. Rome was an oppressive regime. Christmas didn't happen on a snow-capped mountain with a little wooden chapel and a candle. It came in the midst of devastation. And that's why I turned to this prophet Habakkuk. You know, you probably never heard a Christmas series, series start from Habakkuk. I've never preached one starting from Habakkuk. But I had to relate who found joy in darkness, and Habakkuk was my guy. See, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he knew, he, the revelation was given to him, that Babylon was coming to destroy his nation. He was shown that Babylon's going to come. They're going to destroy Judah. They're going to burn down Jerusalem. They're going to tear down the the temple. They're going to plunder the people. They're going to take people into exile. He saw it all coming. And when he said, there's no figs on the vine, there's no olives on the tree, there's no fields for produce, there's no cattle, there's no livestock, there's no sheep. What he's talking about is an absolute collapse, political collapse, social collapse, economic collapse. This is a starvation level event. He sees it. If I were to compare it to something today, I probably would compare it to the Congo. I mean, I know we get a lot of uh, images or illustrations, news coverage of what's happening in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine, and it's absolutely horrible, and it needs our prayers. But man, for some reason, they're overlooking the Congo, and I have my suspicions why, but they're mine. But in the Congo, I don't know if you know, six million people have become displaced since June 11th. There are over 27 million People, including 4 million children, who are not just at food insecurity, they are at a starvation level. And that's what Habakkuk sees. He sees this coming. And he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What's up with that? Right? Where where do we find that kind of joy? I mean, you'd pay a million dollars to get that kind of joy in the midst of suffering, wouldn't you? Good news is you don't have to pay it. You can just listen to this message. Okay, good news, right? 
to find joy in the midst of that kind of tribulation. I had to preach to the British Methodists over in London back in 2017. The Anglican Church, they've got kind of diaries and annals of some of kind of their heroes of faith. And there was a missionary, uh, his name was um, um, Gardner. His last name was Gardner. And he led uh, a missionary uh, tour um, way back then. And he, uh, uh, Alan Gardner was his name. And they were shipwrecked on their way, actually I think we're going to the Congo or somewhere in Africa, but they were shipwrecked on their way on an uninhabited island south of the tip of South America. And one by one, I think there was about 12 of them, they all died of starvation. And, and Alan Gardner was the last one to die. When they found his body, they found his journal next to him. And as an Anglican missionary, that journal's now in their kind of museum of the saints that I had the privilege to look at. And the last entry in his journal, he just wrote Psalm 35, I'm sorry, Psalm 34, verse 10. And I, I wasn't off the top of my head what that was, so I pulled out my phone. And it says, Psalm 34, 10 says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. I'm not using my slides. Dave Jezik is, my tech team is, okay, they're not working anyways. Help, Dave. Oh, there they go. There, there, there. I told you to be patient with me. I'll get there. A little scattered. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And you know what his last journal entry under Psalm 3410 was? He said, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. This is a man starving to death. Where does that come from? How do we get Christmas joy? So I want to real quick in about 20 minutes here to say, what is it? What is this joy? When does it happen? And how do we get it? Okay. What is Christmas joy? Habakkuk says that this kind of joy leads us up to the mountaintop. Do you hear what he said? He said, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Now, if, if you're a serious mountain climber, climbing mountains is dangerous, right? When you, you, lo- you lose your footing up climbing a mountain, you know, it's, whoop, you're done. It's not as easy as walking on solid ground. But if you can get to the top of the mountain, right? In the ancient times, the tops of the mountains were the safest place you could be. That's why all fortresses and cities were built on a mountain, And you got a vantage point. You could see for miles and miles and miles. If there was an enemy army approaching, you could see it maybe five days away, right? You get vision on top of the mountain. The people that ruled the mountain ruled the valley. And what Habakkuk is saying is God, even through this suffering, is pushing me up to higher ground. Have you ever noticed that suffering can bring out the best in you or the worst in you? I said that during COVID. I would say to my wife, you know, watching what was going on in the world. I said, this thing has brought out the best in us and the worst in us. Some people go through suffering and and they get very, very bitter. Some people go through suffering and they get a lot softer. Some people go through suffering and they get very arrogant, right? Dad wounds and all these things. And you don't know what I've been through. And, you know, only I understand it can make you very arrogant. But other people go through suffering and it makes them very humble. See, suffering is either going to make you or break you. It's spiritually. You will totally fall out, uh, fall off the edge, or 
it'll lead you to higher heights. It'll bring out things in you that you never knew you had. I, uh, I had a, my, my first church here in Ohio back in the ni- early 90s. I had a, a, a man who was in his mid-40s. I was 30 years old, wet behind the ears preacher. And uh, he contracted terminal cancer and was given like four months to live. He had a wife, two young children, and I would call on him regularly, and we had many talks. Just about three weeks before he passed, he, uh, he was very lucid, and we sat there, and he said, Pastor, he said, I want to tell you. He said, I, I don't want to die. He said, um, I don't want to leave my family, but I'm experiencing a closeness to God that I, I've never known before. God is so real to me right now. He said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying a different way than every prayer. He said, I've been able to see things about myself that I've never seen before. It's all becoming clear. And he said, I wouldn't trade this for more years. What was happening? He was being led up the mountain. He was being pushed to be able to walk sure-footedly on higher ground, okay? He got a vantage point up on the mountain. So that's, that's what it is. It's joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of darkness. Is Boy, you're grieving, you're crying, but you're being carried up to the mountain. When does this happen, okay? Christmas joy is discovering joy in the suffering, not after the suffering. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This isn't happened after. It happens during, okay? Um, doesn't mean there won't be many tears. Doesn't mean there won't be anger. Doesn't mean there won't be questioning. Doesn't mean there won't be depression and doubt. But rediscovering Christmas joy that comes in darkness can bring a joy that can creep through even the cracks in our broken hearts. Can, can come through these things. John Claypool is one of my favorite preachers. He, he just passed away recently. And I, I still have a book that he wrote. Um, it's called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler Living and Growing Through Grief. And in it is a sermon that John Claypool preached. He preached it after his daughter, Laura Lou, had died from leukemia at the age of 12. He stepped away from the pulpit for a bit, but when he came back, he preached his sermon. He said, many of you who have asked me how you can help me, don't tell me that God needed my daughter more than I do. He didn't. Don't tell me it was God's will for my daughter to die. It wasn't. Don't tell me time will heal all wounds because it won't. But if you want to help me, remind me every day that my daughter was a gift. Ask me if I would rather have had her for 12 years and lost her than never have had her at all. Ask me if I'm gladder that I had her than I am sadder that I lost her. That's not joy after the suffering. That's joy in the midst of the suffering. How many of us would seek for that? And, you know, interesting, Habakkuk in verse 16, he's gone through three chapters telling all this devastation that's going to happen. I love this verse that Flora read. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My, my lips quivered. He's crying. He's weeping. At the sound, decay crept into my bones. I, I felt like I'm going to die, and my legs trembled. I, I, I'm shaking. I can't even stand on my own two feet. And he said, you know, I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. That in the Hebrew, waiting patiently means deep peace, 
what Paul called a piece that doesn't make sense, right? And, and this is very important to understand this verse before he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Because there's, there's, a, there's a voice out there, out there in, in the Christian church that sometimes that says, hey, you know, don't cry. You know, you got to be stoic. If you're going through hard times to be a Christian, keep a stiff upper lip. You know, you know, don't crack under pressure. You have the joy of the Lord inside. You can make it through anything. And that's a bunch of malarkey. Here's a Habakkuk who has way more faith than you do, way more faith than I do, and he's falling apart emotionally. You know, it's okay to weep. Jesus wept all the time. Why? Because he was perfect and emotionally healthy. And when you can get over being so self-absorbed, you know what? You can actually feel emotion. And you can feel sorrow for the world. And, you know, so don't, don't buy into that. I remember my church in New Jersey when I was in seminary and I was a student pastor. We had a terrible uh, tragedy. Of, uh, a, a couple was killed in a car accident. And they had children who were two boys who were 11 and 9. And I rushed over to the house to be with those kids. And, and their, mom, their grandmother had come up from down in Georgia. And she was a, a down south church person. And I got to the door. And I saw the kids were kind of, you know, sitting on the steps waiting for me to come. And she met me at the door. And she says, hey, preacher, I'm glad you're here. I told these kids, we're not going to cry. We're going to be tough. We're going to be good Christians, right? I said, wrong. I'm going to go cry with these kids. And if you want to be tough, you can go do it in the kitchen wasn't my best moment of pastoral care. <laughs> but that's what I did. I cried with those kids. Don't, don't fall into that. Here's a, you know, joy comes in the grief. You, re- you remember the story of Job? People tell you, have the faith of Job, right? What did Job do when everything happened? He tore his clothes. He started weeping. He fell on the ground. And God said, the word of God says, when he did all that, not once did he sin. So tell that to the person that tells you, toughen up. Say, no, I'd rather be like Jesus. I'd rather be able to feel the pain and the sorrow and yet even experience the joy. Because if you can experience this in the sorrow, you won't just be at the table with Jesus. It'll push you into the lap of Jesus like John, where you'll just lay your head down on the breast. You won't just sit there stoically in the pew. You'll do like Hannah did. You'll run to the altar and pour your heart out before God. Uh, we had communion earlier at our heritage service. We have a sanctuary and people come up to the altar and that, um, and I was having a moment where I remembered a person when I first came to this church, she was in her eighties and her name was Pat Fisher. And uh, she, she just ran over to me my first Sunday. She said, we're so lucky we have you. Gave me a big hug. I'm glad you were my, you're our pastor. Um, that wore off after about 10 months. No, I'm kidding. Because I have the spiritual gift of irritation. But it felt, no. No, but I'll never forget what Pat said to me. She looked at me and she said, you can call me Party Pat. And she was. She was a party. She was such a joy to be around. She was amazing. She would always come in and serve in the office with us, just volunteer. And we just felt better when she was there. Pat was diagnosed with terminal cancer and knew she had about six months to live. Do you think she quit serving in the office? Do you think she quit being party Pat? She was as as joyful three days after that diagnosis as she was three days before. Where does that come from? It comes from God. It comes from a, a poise that we have in faith in the resurrection. And I'll never forget when, when it, you know, some funerals were fun to do. Hers was. 
And we had joy. And the next Sunday, like two days after the funeral, her adult son and daughter came to worship where Pat worshiped Heritage. They were from out of town. And at that time, uh, we do kind of like we do here at Heritage. But back then, we used to come and everybody kneel at the altar. And we all acted like the frozen chosen, you know, stiff upper lip. Thank you. Thank you. You know, but not these two. They came up the altar. They didn't care how we were behaving. And they came to the altar and they, they, they wept out loud. And, but yet then they looked at each other and they kind of laughed and they took the cups. And at, at the top of their voice, they lifted them up and said, here's to you, mom. Thank you, Jesus. And took communion. And I said, that's joy. That's not happiness. That's not Merry Christmas. That's joy. And this gets very personal for me. Because when I came here about close to 20 years ago, my very first Christmas Eve, my mom was born on Christmas Day. She was a year shy of her 75th birthday. On December 22nd, we were having a, a staff Christmas party. So she took the boys and went down to a basketball game and stayed overnight downtown. And on December 23rd, I went and picked up the boys, had breakfast with her. And my mom drove home. And when she got home, uh, she went into her bedroom and she died. Suddenly, a massive stroke. And uh, now it's December 24th, you know, and, and I'm wondering, what do I do? You know, um, do I preach? Uh, what do I do? Um, and I said, well, what would my mom want me to do? She loved Jesus and she was born on Christmas. And I almost felt her like, if you don't get your rear end into that pulpit and talk about the goodness of God, and so I went and I preached three sermons on Christmas Eve. My son Matthew was, was 10 years old. And at that 5.30 service, they, we had the kids up and they were doing a little song with our children's choir director. We weren't as big as we are now. And, and so they were, Matthew was supposed to be a shepherd and he was supposed to sing. And I said, Matt, you don't have to do this. He goes, Mom would want me to. You know, it does something to you to sit right there and your son is on stage and he's weeping. Singing, oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful. I can see it like it was yesterday. And when my mom died, the, the pastor who did the funeral, he knows us. I was his superintendent at one time. And he said uh, something I'll never forget. He said, because the next day we went to my mom's house. Because she, born on Christmas, she prepared everything. We always celebrated her house. We go there, all the food was made, all the tables were set. We ate her meal. My sister and I just warmed it up. All the nieces and nephews, we were all there. Um, she, she always in her family room had a big sheet up, and there was a Santa thing that says, do not enter, right? But then at that time, after dinner, you drop the sheet, and every grandchild had a big nameplate with all their presents piled up, and she had that done. They were all wrapped. For God's sake, she had a log already on the fire. We lit the log. We opened the presents. I had a yeah, washcloth that day, and I was between laughing and crying and laughing and crying. And the pastor that did that funeral got up that day, and he told that story about what we did. He said, the day after this family lost their mom and lost their grandmother, they had Christmas. He said they were, had Christmas running around the empty tomb. That's joy in the suffering. It doesn't make sense, not after suffering. Okay. How do we get it? How do we get it before we come to the table? How do we get? We get it. Joy comes through three things. You can, I hope you remember. Repeating, remembering, rejoicing. Repeating, 
remembering, rejoicing. See, Habakkuk does something in, in this passage that's something that happens an awful lot in the Bible. But those of us who we re- read the Bible a lot, we miss it. Don't miss it. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He says the same thing two times. Now, I, got my, I defended my doctorate back in October. I had to write my dissertation. Before I did, I had to send my dissertation to an editor. And, uh, you know, the editor went through my stuff. And two times she came back to me and said, eliminate this sentence because you already say it, said it. Don't say it again. Do these guys need editors? Because they keep saying it again. If you go through the Bible, they say stuff again and again and again. Paul said in Philippians, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Does he need an editor? He must. Why do we have four gospels? You ever ask yourself that? They're all covering basically the same material. And by the time you get to the third one, don't you go, I know, I know. On the third day, he rose again. The night before he died, he had dinner with his friends. I get it. Why do I have to keep hearing it over and over? Because when you hear it over and over, it drills down into your spirit. When you hear one of us on our teaching team preaching on the scripture up here, and then you go home and you open your Bible and you read about it and you think about it, and, and, and then you talk to a friend about it later and said, I, I heard this scripture, and you talk about it, and, and, then, and then later you're reading a devotional book or something, and that scripture's in there, and you go, oh, that's interesting. I was just thinking about that six months ago. And then you go to your small group, and they talk about that scripture. And then you like it so much, you go to the Hallmark store, and you get a little plaque with that scripture on. You put it on your desk, and so you see it every day. And you know what happened? It's going a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper when Jesus was on the cross in the most gruesome and horrible excruciating death he quoted scripture Psalm 22 1 my God my God why have you forsaken me Psalm 31 5 into your hands oh God I commit my spirit how did he do that because he'd been repeating it and repeating it and repeating it so much so that when they stabbed him, he bled scripture. Dig it down, drill it down, get it deeper, repeat, repeat, repeat. Pharaoh got two dreams, not one. Joseph got two dreams about his future, not one. The miracles Jesus repeated again, again, again. In fact, he fed the 5,000 and then he fed the 4,000. And so even some biblical scholars got tired of it. And they said, now they're just telling the same story twice. They got the numbers wrong. But if you read the Bible, it happened in two different places. Why again and again, again? So to go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. Even when we sing joy to the world, you know, joy to the world, right? We'll probably be singing on Christmas Eve. We always do. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? Joy uh, to the world, the Savior reigns. And then what do we sing? Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. And then you got to say this twice. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Why do we got to sing it three times? Four repeats, five joys. And you can't just say the wonders of his love once. Come on, you got to help me with this. The wonders of his love. You're so bad. The wonders of his love. Two times. The wonders. Are you serious? That's what you got? 
No, you're going to do that again. No, uh, you're not allowed in this message. You're going to no, no. Come on. The wonders of his love. There you go. See, well, why do we do that? Dig it deeper and drill it deeper, drill it deeper. And we remember, right? We don't just repeat, we remember. If you read Habakkuk through this whole thing, he's remembering the exodus. He's remembering God liberating the people. He talks about the pestilence. He's thinking about the plagues. He talks about the trembling of the earth. He's talking about Mount Sinai. He talks about God disturbing the waters. He's remembering the crossing of the Red Sea. He's remembering, he's remembering, he's remembering what God has done. And see, we got one better than that. Because he didn't even know the liberation that Jesus would bring. The true and better Moses, right? In fact, it says in Luke, when Jesus appeared on the mountain and was transfigured, he began to speak about his exodus. And we remember that, right? And then in the midst of that, we rejoice. We rejoice. See, rejoicing is not feelings, right? It doesn't simply mean feeling. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, again, I say rejoice. You want to say, wait a minute, Paul, you want me to have joy in all situations? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, because joy is a condition. To rejoice means to treasure. To rejoice means literally in the Hebrew to take it in. So, so you take it in. I love the story in, in uh, uh, Luke where the disciples were rejoicing. It says, Jesus, Luke 10, Jesus sent them out to go out and to heal and to cast out demons and to preach the good news. And when, and when they came back, it said they came back rejoicing. And they said to the Lord, Lord, even the evil spirits submit to us. And Jesus says, so you had a good day. Maybe tomorrow won't be a good day. He said, be happy about that. Don't rejoice in it. Don't put your joy in the wrong place. You can go make merry about it. You know, merry demon cast out day. But don't rejoice in it. He said, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the eternal. Rejoice that no matter what happens, your name is written. In fact, in the Hebrew, that literally means engraved. Don't rejoice that you became a partner. Don't rejoice that you got your doctorate. Don't rejoice that you came into, got into Juilliard. Don't rejoice because you closed a great deal. Be happy, but rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that your name is engraved in heaven because of what I have done. And when you believe that, right, then Jesus' joy can be in us. Whatever happens, right? Use that. Drill it down. Take it with you. Because I'm going to tell you, when I sit in through two eight-hour surgeries with my daughter all week, I'm going to be repeating. I'm going to be re repeating the words of Scripture. I'm going to be saying them, what we sang this morning, that God is exceedingly abundantly able to do more 
than I could ask or think. I'm going to rejoice that, that God who had begun a good work in, in me and in my daughter and our family will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to celebrate what we sang earlier, that God is still the God of miracles. And God will always heal me. If he doesn't heal me in this life, he'll raise me to the next. That death used to be, you know, a danger, but now death is just a gardener. I'm going to repeat the things that I know about God and I'm going to remember remember what he has done for me and remember that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be at the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic and out in the streets of Cleveland and on the west side and on the east side and whatever's happening in my life whether it feels good you know we always say God is good all the time when do you say God is good? when good things are happening in your life don't lie But when I remember the goodness of God, when I remember what he did for me, when I remember that he brought me this far and he's never left me, when I remember that had it not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have gone insane. I would have gotten the car and kept driving. I'm going to remember that. And God give me the strength to rejoice to rejoy, to renew, to restore, to recreate, to rejoy, to put the pilot light back on for the joy because in in his presence is the fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is my salvation. Those are words from scripture that I'm going to repeat and I'm going to repeat and I'm going to repeat. And when you do that, friends, three things will emerge. Trust me on this. Three things will emerge. First, you'll know our worst things are never the last things. Second, you'll know that our best things can never finally be taken away from us, not in the light of eternity. And finally, third, that the best things are yet to come. Amen? All right, we're going to invite you to come to this table where Pastor Terry will lead us, where Jesus said, when you come to this table, repeat it often, we do it the first Sunday of the, other, of the month. Remember me, Jesus said, and find it within you, not just to be happy, but to rejoice. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Fall on us at this table that we may taste and see your Christmas joy that comes even in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.